Okay, well, my name is Brian. For those of you who don't know me, welcome to church this morning. If it's your first time, you are incredibly welcome here. You need to know that. Um, I just want to tell you something. I want to ask who celebrates Valentine's Day. Who celebrated Valentine's Day a few weeks ago? American, boo. No, we don't like it. Literally no one nodding their heads. Lord, we pray for an infilling of love into this congregation. <laughs> but uh, we actually do. And, um, and when I was 19, I was so pumped because I'd been raised on romantic comedies and Disney really hit its strides in my upbringing. And so I was a romantic. And Daz was actually my first boyfriend. If you don't count Charlie Brown in Year 6, not the cartoon character. It was an actual person in our school called Charlie Brown. That wasn't part of my my boyfriend. Um, no, actual Charlie Brown and plus, obviously, a litany of suitors in preschool. But Daz was my first boyfriend. And so 19 years old, I was pumped to be celebrating my first Valentine's Day. I was so excited of what it might hold. And, uh, and I'd seen the movies. I'd seen the shows, Flowers, Chocolates, The Works. And some people get that kind of thing. But you know, Daz, I don't know if you've ever seen a massive big grandfather clock. They are just an incredible piece of machinery. They're usually found in antique stores. They've got the big pendulum that swings. They chime. They're amazing. Now, there's a smaller version of that called the grandmother clock, and it sits on a mantelpiece, and uh, it chimes as well, and usually ornate and timber and beautiful. Now, there's also another version of that, that if you get into town late on a Friday night, you're meeting your new girlfriend at the lookout to talk, obviously, and, uh, and you've forgotten to get her a present, and the only thing left open late at night is a chemist, then what you can find there is a teeny tiny gold-coloured metal grandma clock. And if you so choose, you can give that to your girlfriend for her first Valentine's Day. And so as I was waiting, <laughs> Daz came and gave me this, here you go, Bron. A clock. And I was like, oh, thank you. I've always wanted one of these. And uh, I don't know where it is now, but um, it's in a happy place, I'm sure. Um, does anyone have expectations that then just don't match up? Maybe you're a father and you've got an expectation around Father's Day. Your expectation of Father's Day is that it seems like you don't have children. Like, kids, don't come anywhere near me, only to fetch me stuff. That'd be great. Or maybe, you know, for Mother's Day, you might think, oh, I want to wake up, breakfast in bed. I want the, you know, homemade pasta necklace. Maybe your birthday. Maybe you're thinking about um, your, you know, engagement that your partner-to-be is going to have it written in lights and he's going to take you up in a hot air balloon and you're going to overlook the scene and, and then fireworks are going to go off. Maybe you've got expectations around certain days, maybe around certain people. Anyone got some expectations? Expectations. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. A few honest people. Anyone got some expectations like on every sphere of life? Like you expect that your workplace is going to be like this, that your husband is going to be like this, that your children are going to be like this, that your family gatherings are going to be like this. A few people there as well. Well, I want to encourage you this morning to rip up the list. 1 Peter 4, 8. It says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I'm not calling a tiny grandmother clock sin, but God mine. <laughs> Lord God, we just come to you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for your yoke that is easy and your burden that is light. And Lord, I pray that as we examine your word this morning, that we might go out of here feeling that. Lord, that our backs might be a little bit straighter, that our heads might be more lifted, Lord. And, uh, and we would feel the lightness that is the presence of God. Lord, the weight that is the presence of God, but the lightness that comes with the presence of God. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Above all, 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, a Jew called Peter, who's recently become a Christian, is writing to a bunch of Jews in what is modern-day Turkey. They're spread out, and he's writing to them and telling them these things. And he says, above all. Now, to this point in 1 Peter, he's asked them to pray. He's asked them to rejoice. He's asked them to exhibit self-control. He's told them to be holy. He's told them to avoid deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. He's asked them to show God's goodness, to respect those in authority. He's asked those to, them to love the family of believers. He's asked them that those who are slaves to be good ones in lieu of the change that's coming down the track, the forever plan of God, for wives to be respectful and not vain, for husbands to treat their wives as equals, and for all of them to give a gentle and respectful explanation for the hope that they have within. And then he says, above all, above all that. And he's not saying, um, if you can get one thing right, get this right. No, he's saying, above all love, and he's saying, love, let love be the infused energy that allows all these other things. Let it be the life force. Let it be the impetus that gives weight to all these things because you can do all those things, Paul says, without love and there'll just be noise. And so he's saying above all love, and this word, many of you might be familiar with it, it's agape, agape, and it, it requires the divine nature of God in order to outwork. That is agape love. If it was plural in the New Testament, it would be love feasts. And that was where they got a bunch of people together, just like here in the room today, all nations, all socioeconomic barriers broken down and the wealthy providing for the poor and sitting and eating together as equals. That's what love looked like when it was expressed plurally. So love, he says, and he's mentioned it before, love each other deeply, love each other deeply in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said in 1 Peter 1, 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply. Now you might be thinking, Bron, if this was a lamb ad, that is un-Australian to love each other deeply. This means fervently. This means passionately. And we immediately associate passion, but that is actually what's wrong with our world today. We can't express passionate love without associating it with more physical love. But no, this is a deep love, a fervent love, a zealous love he talks about. And he's saying, church, love each other like that. Now, I don't know about you, how you feel about that. But I find my, found myself in a prayer meeting during 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, we were praying for the desire to act like family and feel like home. And I just was, you know, with the Lord and closing my eyes, forgetting all the people that were there. And I was praying, Lord, God, Lord, I just feel busy most of the time. I just feel exhausted most of the time. Lord, please give me the desire to act like family and feel like home because I want to go home, pull up the shades, pull down the shades and not let anyone know that I'm there. And then I realized that I'm the pastor and I'm praying in front of a bunch of the church. I went, is what I bet a bunch of people are thinking, Lord. But thank you that you've worked something different in me. <laughs> and I had to go with my honesty. I love each other deeply, he's saying. He's saying, and you might think, how do we do this? Well, well let's look at a few ways. We're going to look at it all year, but let's look at a few ways that we can do it this morning. Fervently, love each other deeply. And why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Multitude. That Greek word is plethos. It's where we get our words plethora. A plethora of sins are covered over as we love each other deeply. 
Now, Peter, as a Jew, writing to Jews, would have immediately had their wisdom literature in mind as he's writing this. And in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, he would have immediately been thinking of this. He's quoting this verse, "'Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins.'" And all the Jews that were listening, they would have been pinging off to other um, Proverbs scriptures that speak of the same thing. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. 16, 27, a scoundrel. Turn to the person next to you and say, you scoundrel. Just because it's fun to say. Um, A scoundrel plots evil and on their lips it is like a scorching fire. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. I don't believe that any of us in here today would mean to separate close friends, but let's acknowledge that the Bible tells us that's what happens and it's what we've experienced. 28, 25, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. 17, 9, whoever would foster love covers over an offence, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Now, I want to just acknowledge today that the word cover in our culture can have negative connotations. It's used in phrases like cover up and it's often used where there's dishonesty or where there's bullying and intimidation. We don't want to be those who who cover up bullying and intimidation. We want to be those who stand up on behalf of the vulnerable. We want to be those who uncover and expose truth. We want to be those kinds of Christians, that kind of church. But what does it mean when it says this? Because number one, This is vitally important, it says, above all else. Number two, this needs God's help. It says, love each other deeply. We need God's help for that. And three, this has massive ramifications if we get it right, because love covers a multitude of sins. So let's think about the first list that we can rip up. And that first list is the list of expectations, the list of expectations. John Bevere wrote a book in 1994 called The Bait of Satan, Helping You Stay Free from the Trap of Offense. And in that book, he said that the, it's predicated on the concept that, that the reality and the expectation often has a gap. Everybody understand that. My Valentine's Day, my first Valentine's Day, there was a gap between reality and expectation. An expectation. <laughs> but this year, this year, Daz gave me flowers and chocolates, took me out to dinner, and we went and saw the Titanic, and it was amazing. Please give that man a hand. <laughs> and I want to say that, that he just came to that all by himself, but it might have been many years of these ones. <laughs> That's quite possible as well. Um, so John Bevere says that the ex- gap between expectations and reality creates the gap for offence. Now, you know this to be true. As I look around the room, there are people that I know better than others. Now, um, there are some of you that I don't know. And if you say something mean to me, I'm going to be like, oh, that must be that, that, they must be that kind of person. But if Paul O'Reilly says something mean to me, I'm going to be laid out on the floor because that's not possible from Paul O'Reilly. How could that possibly happen? There would be a gap between what I expect from Paula and the reality because of who I know her to be. Let me give an example of this. You might not have many expectations of people in your workplace, But when you come to church, you expect to be treated a certain way. You might not have many expectations of the schoolyard, but when you come to church, you expect to be included. And so you should. And we don't always get that right, but that's the gap between expectation and reality. And I want to tell you that it's important for us to rip up our list. I was doing a wedding recently. I said, Matt, Steph, I want you to lower your expectations of each other. 
now. Because you're so inspired, you may kiss the bride. <laughs> Remember, I was saying, lower your expectations of each other, but raise your expectations of what God might do through the both of you. Raise your expectations of what God might do in you through this marriage. Who knows that marriage has the ability to really cause you to die to yourself? <laughs> no, just me and maybe Dan. <laughs> he's, not, he's not laughing. He's not admitting to anything. <laughs> <laughs> next to me, near me. <laughs> Rip up the list of expectations. Um, when I was getting married, I had this list. I prayed from the day I was saved, as I said, romantic comedies, all that. I really wanted to get married. And I had this list. Lord, let me marry someone really tall. Let me marry someone dark. Let me marry a tradie. Let me marry someone who can play an instrument and who can sing really well and who is hilariously funny. Now, Daz Bunnell has legs that are shorter than mine, even though he's taller than me. <laughs> and he is hilariously funny. But when we got married, man, he was intense. He was known as the intense guy in our youth group. Um, now, he's my best friend, and he is actually the best husband in the world. I'm sorry, everyone else, but he is. But I had to let go of a whole lot of expectations in order to have him as my husband. But fortunately, I had the most important thing on my list that was fulfilled, and that was that he loved Jesus more than me. And because he loved Jesus more than me, that was the most important thing on the list, and everything else faded into the background. I want to encourage you, whether it be about your relationship with your mother, whether it be about your relationship with your spouse, whether it be about your relationship with your church, let go of expectations that don't matter and raise your expectations that are founded on the Word of God because they have the ability to come to pass, and God says He will come, have them come to pass. And as we place our hope in the Word of God, we will not be disappointed. But boy, we get disappointed if we have a whole lot of fluffy things on the side. So let's rip up the list of expectations. The, there's a saying that says that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, some people see beauty everywhere. And I think they've exchanged their expectations for wonder. They just go around and their eyes are full of wonder and they're ready to see things that other people don't see. But there are those that walk around with expectations and they miss the wonder because they're looking for the fulfillment of their expectations. Let's be those that rip up the list of expectations. Second list to rip up is to rip up the list of the record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you may know it very well, says... Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. What does this do? If we keep no record of wrongs, it disables us to be able to say, you never, when we're having a conversation with someone. You never! Well, that means immediately that we've kept a record of wrongs to be able to say that. But if we let that go... Then, then we're unable to say that. We're unable to say, you always. That immediately tells us that we're keeping a record of wrongs. You never, you always. And what I believe God would ask us to do is develop a really good forgettery. Some of us have been praying for good memories and we need to stop praying for that and start praying for good forgetteries. That actually, Lord, that you might help me forget. You know, sometimes I'll be wanting to build a pattern of behavior in a person. I want to lay it out for them that, you know, this is where you're going wrong and this is what you've done. And, and sometimes, sometimes I just can't remember what the other things were. And I get so frustrated. And I think, oh, Lord, that's actually the point. I'm supposed to be taking them at face value day after day. Now, 
do we need to be sensible? Yes, absolutely. Even as I talk about expectations, there might be something going off in you like, but hang on, how do I maintain self-worth if I have no expectations? I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the things that, and hopefully maybe we'll get to it. You can send a question that might answer it uh, and continue the conversation. But broadly, I'm talking about not being able to list out the litany of failures that people around us have executed. That we're able to go, oh, nah, forgot about it. Sorry, forgot about it. And also, if there's no record of wrongs, we can't tell other people about it. This is a quote from Jay Vaughan. It says, Do not tell it unless the necessity be urgent or the utility great. Never tell of a man what you have not first told to the man. Never think you can make yourself great by making another less. Who's ever had a conversation or found out about a conversation about them? It's the worst feeling, right? And you'd probably okay with it if it had just been to you first. You might understand that, oh, okay, that conversation needed to happen. But, but when it hasn't even happened with you and you're finding out from someone else, oh, that hurts. Rip up the list of the record of wrongs so that you can't have that conversation. Number three list and final list is rip up the list of the charge sheet. Now, a charge sheet, what a charge sheet does, it says, I've gathered enough evidence to be able to charge you. Now, I won't judge you. I'm not the judge, I won't judge you, but I'll charge you and I'm going to treat you as guilty of that offence until the judgment comes. And sometimes we're like, oh, I'm not going to judge, I'm not the judge, God's the judge, but boy, I'm going to treat you as guilty until that time comes. And God would have us rip up, I believe, the charge sheet. Now, sometimes it feels like I'll forgive you only as long as God's going to judge you. We cling to scriptures like, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And we're like, yes, God, one day, smash their teeth out with the psalmist. <laughs> and we're, I'll forgive, Lord, I'll happily forgive as long as you don't, as long as you judge them. And, and yet Jesus hung on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, if I'm at the foot of the cross, I'm like, um... <clears throat> Jesus, excuse me, sorry, I know uh, you've got a lot going on right now, but if you could just take another breath, I have a few questions. They do know exactly what they've done. From the time you rose to notoriety, they've been plotting and scheming for your death. They know exactly. Those people, they, they, the Roman soldiers, they, they know exactly what they're doing. They just executed you. And, uh, and Jesus might say, um, <clears throat> well, Brian, I was about to declare the finished work of the cross and, you know, be the physical representation of the, what had happened since the dawn of time when I paid for all the sins of the world. But okay, let me indulge you for a moment. Um, Bron, I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm wrestling against principalities and powers. And, and what's happening right now, what you see in front of your eyes is not the full story. They, 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 they might look like the enemy, but they are not the true enemy. So I happily forgive them for, because this is the whole reason that I came to the earth was to forgive their sins, to be the atonement for their sins, to be the one who paid for their sins so that they didn't have to. If I now hold things against them, I'm no longer the blemishless, spotless lamb. And so, are you good now, Bron? Okay, it is finished. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus did that. And you might rightly say, well, Bron, that's the son of God. Of course he could do that. Of course he could say something like that. But in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and you might have looked at him late last year, there was a man called Stephen. And, and you know what? The Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit and power. And you know what he did? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit and power, he waited on tables to help out widows. And he, he considered that a joy, to free up the apostles to read the word and to pray, and that he might wait on tables. And as he did, 
uh, he just, healings began to break out, um, miracles began to break out, and so there was opposition that rose up against him. And as people, it got to the point where they picked up rocks to kill him, and they're throwing rocks at him, and Stephen says, don't charge this to this, their account, Lord. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen said that, not the Son of God. And go, ah, yeah, but Bron, you know, he was a, had a healing ministry, had a miracle ministry. Okay, well, let's go back Old Testament. Someone who didn't have the Spirit of God as such in them, living in them like we do who follow Jesus today. Those who decide to follow Jesus immediately receive the Holy Spirit to live in them and to empower them to live this life. This man called Joseph didn't. And his brothers sold him into slavery. Now, just to check, um, has anyone else's brothers here sold them into slavery in their life? No, okay, so let's just assume that whatever happened to you was not as bad as that. I'm not negating, I'm sure that there's a bunch of horrific stuff that's happened. We're in a room full of people after all, but that's pretty bad. And Joseph, sold into slavery, goes to a house that then he is falsely accused and gets thrown into prison. And as Joseph is there, I don't know what he was thinking, but I imagine that in his brain he's going back to, this would never have happened if my brothers hadn't have done that. This would never have happened if my brothers hadn't have sold me into slavery. Uh, you know, okay, Potiphar's wife's accused me, she's awful, but my expectations of her were never that great anyway. My expectations of my brothers to love me, however, were pretty high, and they've just sold me into slavery. Uh, and then the the cupbearer and the baker and the candlestick maker, they end up coming to Joseph with dreams. There was no candlestick maker, just in case you think that I've combined nurseries in the Bible. That's not how it works. Um, the cupbearer and the baker, they come with dreams. They, they are imprisoned as well. They come with dreams to Joseph and they say, can you interpret our dreams? And Joseph does and, 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 and they say, if they come to pass, we'll remember you. We'll tell the powers that be about you. Two more years, Joseph is in there. And if he's me, he's just, like his expectations, he just met those dudes in jail. He hasn't got high expectations of them. But the expectations of his brothers are still ticking away in the background of them to love him, them to protect him. And they're the ones who threw him in there. But what happens is that Joseph ends up in front of his brothers. And he's now in a position of power after a bunch of things that happen. And, and he's looking at them and he's providing for them. And they begin to apologize and he says, no, no, no. What you meant for evil, God has determined for good for the saving of many lives. And he's able to just go, you, you know what, you are guilty, but I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm going to save your life. And not only your life, but the lives of many. And he rips up the charge sheet. They were actually guilty, but Joseph decides to rip up the charge sheet. So I want to encourage you, can you rip up the charge sheet against others? You're waiting like, oh yeah, I've forgiven them, but boy, God better judge them. And, and in your mind, maybe, not even in your physical being, but in your mind, you're treating them as guilty, even though you've said that you've forgiven them. I had a, a thing happen recently, and I was like, God, that person, how do I, I mean, like, okay, we'll get past this, we'll get through it, I understand, but how will I ever trust them again? How do I ever trust that person? And don't get me wrong, I know forgiveness is different to trust, and, but God said, so I'll take that in this situation, he said, you'll forgive them, and then you'll trust them again. It's like, Jesus, you're brutal with me. <laughs> That's so hard. I wanted to feel righteous. I wanted to feel like, ah. But God said, just give them another chance. Like this, don't forget, Bron, this is actually the first time. <laughs> How about you give them another chance? Rip up the charge sheet against others. Rip up the charge sheet against yourself that is telling you, I can't 
I'm not good enough. Uh, like, yep, God, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to be okay on that day of judgment because of Jesus. But in the meantime, you probably can't use me because of the guilt that I carry. Rip up the charge sheet against yourself. And maybe one of the hardest things is to rip up the charge sheet against God where horrible things have happened and you know that God's hand could have stilled that and stopped that. But you're willing to go, I trust you, God. I wipe that away. I'm not going to hold myself back from you and afar from you, Lord. I'm going to actually run into you despite the fact that I can't understand right now how that works. Let go of the in the meantime actions. That Okay, well, one day you'll get what's coming to you, but in the meantime, I'm just going to be righteous over here. Rip up the charge sheet. You know, sometimes Daz and I will tell each other about a thing and about a situation usually involving a person and the other person will usually does because he's much better person than me he will start to say yeah but Bron, what about this good thing about that person what about like you're saying this and that this is you know maybe who they are but what about this that says that that's not who they are and and for me it's just amazing because I'll go to him with a situation that I need sorting through and I feel very self-righteous and he realigns my thinking to let it go and to trust again what I would love for myself if it didn't even make it to Daz. I'd love to be able to work that through with God and have God say, oh, what about this, Bron? What about the fact that they helped you out here? That's not their pattern of behavior at all. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins, a multitude, a plethora of sins. And so, you know, if you follow Jesus today, you've had this happen to you. Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. If you follow Jesus, you can say, I am blessed because my transgressions are forgiven because my sins are covered. You can say like the psalmist in Psalm 85 verse 2, You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. And God gives us the opportunity with this scripture to participate in his nature and forgive other people as well. How crazy is that? The, the best thing that's ever happened to us, I don't know about you, but the best thing that's ever happened to me is Jesus forgiving my sins, wiping my past away. And then he invites me into that when someone hurts me and says, do you want to forgive them and let that be wiped away? Again, I, I never want you to think, doesn't I never want you to think that being in an unsafe situation or where your family is unsafe, that that is okay, that's not okay. But where you are, have the ability, you see this scripture, one commentator says, gives you the ability to hide people's sins from man. Now, for that person, only repentance will hide it from God because God sees all. But we say, that's up to you, God. I'm going to hide it from man. And I'm not going to say anything to anybody else unless the urgency is great or the utility is necessary. So I want to give you a bunch of ways to respond today. And firstly, because we're going to continue the conversation in just a moment. But firstly, I wonder if you've had this experience of your iniquity being forgiven and your sins being covered. So let's just close our eyes for a moment. The question really is, have you decided to follow Jesus? Because if you've decided to follow Jesus, your transgressions are covered, your sins are covered, your transgressions are completely forgiven. And you decide, God, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to follow you. And if that's you this morning, you have the ability to have all your past wiped clean to be a new creation. The Bible says, behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new when we decide to follow Jesus. And maybe that's a moment that you need today. Maybe that's a moment that you desire today. 
Maybe that's a moment that you've needed for a long time, but today is the day of salvation. And if that's you this morning, then I'd love it if in your heart, when I pray this prayer, that you would say amen at the end of it. And that at some point today, you'd jump on that QR code and you'd click on, I prayed that prayer, now what? So I'm gonna pray for you. And is there, just while we've got our heads bowed and our eyes closed, does anyone wanna say, Brian, include me in that prayer? I'm not gonna ask you to stand. I'm not gonna ask you to come out the front. Thank you, great decision, my say. I need my slate wiped clean. I wanna follow Jesus. Anyone else this morning? Brian, include me in that prayer. Two hands, that's awesome. You can put your hands down. Great, thank you, great decision. You can put your hand down. Great decision, you can put your hand down. Great decision, you can put your hand down. Anyone else this morning? Brian, include me in that prayer. I wanna follow Jesus. Well, Lord, Lord, on behalf of all these people this morning, I say, Lord, Lord, we don't want to go our own way anymore, Lord. We want to go your way. Mighty God, we don't want to um, just go with our flawed humanity. We want to go with who you are and who you say we are, Lord. Lord Jesus, don't just be, Lord, our best friend. Be the Lord of our life. Let, let a, a mark of who, us following you be obedience, Lord. Lord, let us obey what you tell us to do. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would come into our hearts right now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. We just have to pause and celebrate this morning because all of heaven celebrates when one sinner repents. We act like family, feel like home around here, so we are all celebrating. I just want you to close your eyes again. I'm just going to, just a few more prayers of response. Today, maybe your like expectations are, you've realised, are way too high. And you need to trust God with this. You're you're trying to put your expectations in people and you need to put your expectations in God. And so I want to give you the opportunity to pray after me if that's you. And this might take some boldness. You can whisper it if you like or you can say it out loud if you like. Lord, to you, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask, think or imagine, according to the power at work within me, to you be the glory. Amen. And Lord, on that scripture, we stake our faith. We put our expectations in that, Lord. That Lord, you're going to do far exceedingly above all that we can ask or imagine, Lord, at work in us. And God, we release people from our expectations and we put our hope and our trust in you this morning in Jesus' name. If you've got a record of wrongs this morning, you can pray after me. Lord, you chose to remember my sins no more. Give me a good forgettery. Give me a good forgettery, Lord. Help me not keep a record of wrongs. In Jesus' name, amen. And the last one, if you've got a charge sheet this morning where you're just treating that person as guilty even in your brain, that yes, you might have, yep, you're going to leave them to God and all that. I just want to take you through a really short exercise this morning. Just with their eyes closed, just to block out distractions. I want you to imagine yourself in a courtroom and you've got the complaint in your hand. And you know what? It is right. Your complaint is right. That person is guilty. I want you to imagine God as the judge on the bench. And you've got your complaint and, and you know you could prove it. You know that He would rule in your favour if He was a just judge. And I want you to imagine the person, the situation, whatever it is in the bench across from you, if you can imagine a courtroom. I want you to take that charge sheet. 
I want you to hand it to Jesus, who is your defense, who is interceding on your behalf. Hand it to Jesus and say, I'm going to leave this with you. And then I want you to imagine yourself walking out of that courtroom all the way into the fresh air, knowing that Jesus is taking care of it and you don't have to think about it anymore. Just in your heart, say, Jesus, I'm leaving that with you. I believe we're having continued conversations, so uh, we might throw a number up on screen. And, and um, if you've got any questions, please send them through. Dan would love to answer them. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. If you're, uh, if you're new to uh, ACC Chapel Collective, we often do this. We give a chance to um, conduct a hard-hitting interview. <laughs> Uh, no, just to, just to uh, if you've got a question you'd like to ask Bronnie, uh, text it to that number on screen. I'll come to this phone anonymously and then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll put it to Bron. Oh, I've got one. Oh, great. Thanks, <laughs> um, uh, what if you're sitting here and um, we're like we're, with the focus this year of Acts Like Family Feels Like Home and all this stuff about, you know, let go of the charge sheet, let go of the... Um, and one of your opening statements was, um, this is a place where we should feel like family. Um, what if you're sitting there going, ah, but not for me? Um, yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I just want to tell you, not for me either, sometimes. Um, you know, I think that what we've got to remember is that we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. And, uh, and you know, I know this because sometimes I'll go to church and I'll feel completely left out. I feel completely, I'll go to the foyer and I feel awkward as. And other times I feel really great. And so I don't, I don't think that that's everyone else necessarily. There might be something, there might be a bunch of snobs in our church and I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I'm probably one of them sometimes. So I realise and I recognise that often it's more to do with how I'm showing up than even what's going on. And one of the ways that I combat that is I look for someone on their own. And I look to be family to someone because a lot of the time I just want people to be family to me. And so when I'm feeling it, when I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I want to tell you that might not look like it, but often I do, that I'll go find someone to be family to even though I feel like they're not necessarily being family to me. Well, it's good. It's almost like the antidote for the thing that you're experiencing is exactly what you don't think it would be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's being what you desire. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, this is an excellent question. How do you rip up the charge sheet and keep your boundaries, keep yourself safe? Mm, that's a really, really great question. Um, I, I think that this is something that's really great in community uh, because the Bible says about um, resolving offence. It says that you go to the person and you tell them. And, and so that's always first stop. Like if there's a behaviour or whatever, that, that you let that, know, that person know that that's actually not okay. But if that person continues to perpetuate that, that's time to grab your connect group leader or grab someone else and, and go back to the person and say, hey, this isn't working, how do we get through this? And then it actually says, and bring in the leadership of the church if that doesn't work. Mm. And so that's where we've got a beautiful eldership in this church. We've got um, you know, pastors that would be willing to help. And so that's when we go back and go, okay, let's, um, let's put some boundaries here. And then you know, from there, other things might need to take place. But, but we, we don't want to jump. Our culture jumps from here to there immediately. Um, we want to take the steps that are biblical and, and go through that again. If anyone's in danger, 
I would say it's just time to, to go and I know that that can be triggering for people and, and so I, I, I say that very carefully and, and, you know, there are numbers of resources like 1-800-RESPECT and stuff like that. But, um, but, yeah, just I would say that boundaries are really important. Boundaries speak to our self-worth yeah. and when we have no boundaries, we're saying I'm not worth protecting yeah. and that, like, Jesus died for us. Nothing could be further from the truth yeah. Yeah. and so we need to... We need to grab a hold of that self-worth and, and say, yeah, no, help me. And if we can't, then we grab people from church and say, help me. Help me to put some self-worth boundaries in place. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thanks, Bron. I That reminds me of what Paul Bartlett was talking about here uh, about a month or so ago. At, and he sort of said, I don't have anyone at my house. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, wow. Because I grew up in a, I grew up as a preacher's kid and we had everyone at our house, absolutely everybody. And I kind of look back now and realise that as much as my parents' hearts were in the right place. It wasn't always all that healthy. Um, something else that it just reminded me of you talking about that too is sometimes we um, we don't assign the same uh, level of thought to someone else's thing that they've done to us that we would to ourselves. Yes. Where, like for example, um, um, I've been pulled up before in church, you know, someone come up to me, they did the right thing and said, hey Dan, I just need to let you know that what you said really hurt. And I was like, I didn't even know, I had no idea. But it was good because I went, oh, I'm so sorry, that is not what I meant, but I totally, I'm not going to make excuses, please forgive me. Um, and that it was done and dusted and that person had the maturity to first of all, had the guts yeah. to come to me. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make is sometimes you have no idea. Uh, uh, and then if we don't, if we have no idea, then we sit there and we stew on it. We, yeah. Like potentially, as as like you were saying, we live in a culture where it, it's popular and to grab hold of a, a something yeah. and turn it into this, yeah, amplify it. Whereas, like a lot of the time, um, something's going on. The other person is firstly not even aware of it, yeah. and potentially not. Ev- they didn't mean it. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Have you ever experienced something like that? In yeah, definitely. Well, I think the first statement that you said, it was um, that we'll not put up with something for someone else, but we'll receive it yeah. for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's a really true statement, Dan. And, and that's a good, um, uh, like, measure mm. of what, am I allowing stuff that I would say to someone else, hey, that's actually not okay. And mm. so that's a good measure to put through, mm. um, you know, of what list needs to be kept in terms of yep. protection. Yeah, absolutely.